0: Okay, so my mom was a huge fan of the saddest songs on the planet. Okay. It was always send in the clowns, sunshine on my shoulders, leaving on a jet plane. There was a lot of John Denver going on in our house. And I always asked her, mom, why, why is it? And actually, whenever we went home to Taiwan, it was this, um, whenever we would, we'd go to karaoke bars, it would always be the saddest songs I got played for her. So I would ask around, mom, you know, I would ask my cousins, I would ask my aunts and my uncles, why is it that Taiwanese people are so obsessed with sad music? And she'd say, well, we had a hard life. And it's kind of true. We have Taiwan's been occupied pretty much since the very, very beginning, right? So it's, I mean, the Olympics are going on right now, right? And what are we known as the Olympics? We are Chinese Taipei. Hello? I mean, how do you even, and I remember the the first year I ever realized that this was happening, I was like, what? That's not Taiwan. I'm so confused. Like, how is that, you know, how is that even reality? Um, But yeah, so to her, to her point, the reason Taiwanese people love sad music is because we led sad, sad lives for a long time.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Less Thing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. And joining me tonight is a guest that I found online. Yishan Lai wrote a fascinating article about her complicated relationship with Born in the USA and Bruce's music. And I was captivated by the article. And so as I'm known to do, which I only have a 50% hit rate, I reach out to the writer via social media and go, Hey, any chance you want to join me on the podcast? And Yishan was nice enough to say yes. So first off, thank you for joining me and welcome to the show.
0: Oh, Jesse, it is my absolute honor to be here. I was so psyched to see your invitation. And I'm I'm now a fan of the podcast. So I'm just honored to be here. Thanks so much for having me and for reaching out.
1: That is so nice. So uh We're going to get to this, but I I'm going to I want to kind of explain to people why you wrote that article and then we'll get to my normal questions about your background and how you discovered Bruce. But I find it fascinating this why you have a complicated relationship with Bruce. So can you mind kind of giving a over like a quick summary and then we'll get into more depth in a little bit?
0: Yeah, not at all. So this actually gets a little bit into your questions about what we listened to when I was growing up in my house. And um, my dad was always really serious about classical music. For him, it was like the only music that you could really listen to, right? So it wasn't until I was eight or nine when we moved to California and the kids next door were playing um pop music right from yeah. the go-go's and you know and that era um what's uh, the, the the stuff that was going on back then i can't even remember now but i remember hearing this music and thinking what is this music right but then shortly afterwards um uh, my brother was involved either in the cub scouts or in indian guides uh and we were at one of those camping weekends and some kids from school were blasting born in the usa really really loud And they were kind of stalking my family's tent, you know, back and forth. And for those of you who are not watching the video and who are listening to the podcast, um, I'm, I'm Asian American, right? So my family immigrated from Taiwan when I was three or four and, um, it became pretty obvious, you know, that they were kind of targeting us for, for not being born in the USA. Um, and at that point in time, I kind of knew already what the song was about, right? It's not at all about whether or not you're actually born in the USA. It's about the experience of, of of being an american citizen and what it's like to serve your country and then come back and feel left behind right um so even though i i knew what it was about I, i still couldn't get away from that visceral feeling of of not being american you know so it took me a long time to to get back into bruce and to to really listen to his lyrics beyond the that lovely bark yelling that I love so much now, uh, that he doesn't in, in born in the USA. Um, and really pay attention to the lyrics and get to really admire him as a songwriter. So yeah, it's
1: complicated. It is. And so what I, I was, I was telling my wife that, um, earlier this evening that I was going to have you on. And I said, and I'm oversimplifying it, but, um, you know, it, I, and I, I did a, quote unquote impression of uh, impersonation of you, right? Like, you know, Badlands, yay, yay, yay. Born in the USA, <laughs> you would sit quietly, your hands folded, and then <laughs> right. then then, you know, uh, you know, uh back, you know, and then then immediately back to, you know, uh Sherry Darland. You know, it just it's just like this this You know like almost a um like some football players kneel you know for the national anthem right like you're like my little silent protest or just uncomfortableness of born in the usa and then immediately back to enjoying the the rest of the show
0: no you're you're absolutely right and i i think the the really interesting thing about the songs you've chosen versus the song i knew is that everything that i knew about bruce was channeled through this sort of like southern california 1980s pop lens right? right so all the stuff was it was Hungry Heart, it was Pink Cadillac, which I didn't understand for a long time. Right. Um, it was uh, Hungry Heart. It was dancing in the USA or uh, dancing in the streets. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there were there was this music that was more pop oriented that didn't really allow me to access Bruce Springsteen as as I should have really you know been yeah. accessing him as a writer. Right. right. Um, but the thing about it, too, is that it wasn't so much a protest for me. It was just like deep, deep discomfort. You yes. know, this idea of like people around me might not understand that I could love the song and love the lyrics and love the very Americanness of its protest and still be singing along. I worried that they would look at me and feel like I didn't deserve to be singing Born in the USA along with them at a concert. I worried that it would be like oh she's obviously not from here right they would look at me and kind of say that
1: and and there is a you know I'm I'm a 62 year old white guy that grew up in Louisiana um, and then moved to Dallas like in 1980 like 86 so you know I've been a Texan for now decades and and just this very insulated world and and I'm constantly surprised at the people who don't acknowledge that there is a different viewpoint than their own mm, uh, you know I, mm-hmm. I because i realize you know my viewpoint as this middle-aged middle class straight white guy mm. is a very unique perspective compared to someone of 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 a different origin even if they were even Born in the USA, pardon the pun, it is yeah. a different perspective, right
0: yeah, and i you know I think what you're saying is is really important um for a couple of different reasons, but the thing that stands out to me the most is that you have recognized who you are and where you're coming from. Right. Um, You are a middle aged white male. You live in Texas. You're very sure of who you are. And I think what's missing in a lot of these conversations is that people don't really understand that who you are and where your origins come from, i.e. your belief systems, the religion you grew up in, all of that stuff has a really solid formation of or it it creates this foundation on which you grew up and which your opinions are formed. Right. But a lot of people don't want to admit that. They don't want to say, oh, you know, I grew up in this kind of household, I have this uh, this ethnic marker, right? Um, so for me, and actually that, that's true for me too, uh, East Asians, I'm, I'm Taiwanese American, um, have this kind of uh, really weird space in the American zeitgeist where because our economic earnings are roughly the same as white Americans and because our education aspirations are roughly the same we kind of fall to the wayside you know we're always told early on not to rock the boat right so that creates this kind of weird gap it's kind of it's a weird vacuum that we live in right yeah so I have to practice myself at saying I am East Asian right I come from an upper middle class background I've never ever wanted for money that that makes me highly privileged I went to a top 10 liberal arts college which makes me highly Insular, And I have a master of fine arts degree. Hello. I mean, how much more privilege can you get? I spent three years navel gazing, you know, like yeah. working on my craft, you know, hello, fainting couch. Right. So it's like it, without that kind of acknowledgement of who you are and where you come from, you can't really even begin to hope to understand other people's positions. Can you? No, right? you can't. So, no, it's, it's great that you that you brought that up. Thank you for doing that.
1: No. So um, let's get back to, uh, you know, kind of. Um, give us your elevator pitch. We kind of jumped yeah. right into the meat of the sandwich. <laughs> um, and, and I, I did not warn you, but I should have, I tend to go off on tangents and, and you've been listening to the podcast. So, you know, um, I just, I love talking to people and I love having conversations and I I I truly do the podcast to entertain myself, and hopefully entertain my guests. Then I hope my audience comes along. But if (laughs) if my guests and I can have a good conversation, then I figure, okay, it's a success. So wonderful. I I I know you're a writer, but go ahead and give us your elevator pitch.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I've been a writer for for most of my professional life since I was 18 when I first started professionally publishing. Um, I write mostly nonfiction at this point, but I have a novel that's out there that was published in 2016, which was a semifinalist for the Thurber Prize in American Humor. Um, and my latest release is a memoir called Pin Ups, which is about my long, ugly relationship with outdoor sports and what that's taught me about being a woman in a man's world. So it's um, it's it's been a, a, a wild ride. I mean, I've been writing a lot more about what it's like to be an American, uh, which mm-hmm. is where, you know, the, the essay that you found me via came came through. Um, and it's been kind of a really interesting time for us to for us to be alive hasn't it? (laughs) It
1: it is an interesting time. And, um, you know, um, another podcast, um, Terry Smith does, uh, music talks, uh, which is the premise of the podcast is you pick a song from every decade that you've been alive.
0: Oh, that's so cool.
1: And you, he interviews you and tells you the story and, and the, it is, it gives you, it's a good excuse to kind of explore someone's life. and um so he had me on to uh, pardon me listeners if you know the story but uh terry was a guest on my podcast at the very end of the podcast he says hey do you have a few minutes i go yeah and he and he told me about this premise, and I said, "Oh, I think that's a fascinating premise." So we had a couple of episodes on Set Listing Bruce where we did that, and then he spun his own podcast. And then for okay. his one-year anniversary, he says, "I want you as the guest because you kind of started this." And so he said do you want to use your original seven songs or do you want to pick seven new songs and i said no i'll pick seven new songs and um for the 60s i picked a change is going to come from sam cook because oh, yeah. it was right after the george floyd you know
0: right and right.
1: and he just recently celebrated 50 episodes and he played a clip from that mm-hmm. and he warned he says jesse sounds emotional because when we recorded this it was right after this and mm-hmm. i was saying almost in tears this is a tough time for our country.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it has remained that way. Um, you know, I went to dinner last night with my best friend from high school and um, and the amount of things he was saying, it, his, he's, you know, he is a, my age still lives in Louisiana and it was very much a, red state mentality sure and you know and 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 talking a lot about minorities and and Mm -hmm. you know and and it was uncomfortable for me but at the same time I know this is a I love this man like a brother and and we are so divided in fact I I think one of the smartest things I read somewhere is the the amount of criticism that Bruce got for that Super Bowl ad the middle from yeah. both the far right and the far left tells you how far away as a country we are from a middle
0: definitely <laughs> definitely you know. yeah you know I I think that the time that we're in is really is really pushing us to um, I don't know work towards our best humanity yes um, but I also think one of the key things that that tends to fall to the wayside in conversations about compassion and empathy is that the people like you who are having to navigate the awkward space between um you know folks you know and love and their beliefs yeah are also in need of allyship you know you need you need support from from other angles of your life you need to be well informed you you know you have to feel firm in your own beliefs and you've got to feel firm enough in your own beliefs to be able to push back compassionately um, to people who are saying things you don't agree with, right? But also who have no experience with a lot of the things that they aren't agree- that they aren't in agreement with, right? Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it's
1: a really awkward and um, and I sit there and I go um, and I've been lucky enough to have um, a wide range of guests join me on the podcast and. Uh, from different um, age groups and you know i've had people from all over the, the world you know and and like when uh bella pori was an early guest and mm-hmm. she talked about the streets of philadelphia is how she discovered bruce because yeah. being lesbian the idea that that song spoke to her because yeah. how often and, in fact, there was an episode where she had, you know, Bruce Springsteen's Gayest Songs. Because yep. she had had these songs that, in her mind, she changed to that. Because yep, there was, and um, it it is a, and, and I heard this from someone, and I, 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 I wish I could give them credit. But he said, the problem is, we want to believe the very best of ourselves and think the worst of the person that we're talking with instead Mm -hmm. of hoping to think, well, I'm going to believe that they have a good heart or they're going to the best of them, uh, you know, it it is this. And it is a lack of compassion and and just a a caringness that is just very difficult right now.
0: Yeah, I think there's there's a lot to be said there about uh, about compassion versus empathy, right? Yeah. Um, Brene Brown is, is very popular these days and she does great work. And a lot of her work is around empathy and vulnerability, right? Yeah. But yeah. I think what's missing from that conversation is the idea that it can be very hard for a middle-aged white man or a middle-aged Asian woman like I am to have empathy for a young black man who's growing up in Philadelphia, right? right. Uh, we don't know what that life is. We don't know what. It's impossible for us to step into his shoes, right? Um, and when we do try, sometimes we stumble into the into the savior mode, you know, where it's exactly. like, oh, we're 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 trying to we're we're coming from our, our highfalutin lives and we're going in and trying to fix your your problems, right? Without knowing anything about what it is. Um, But when you think about compassion, what you're doing is making room for the probability that this person's narrative is true, right? As opposed to saying my way or the highway, you're saying actually my way, your way, and everybody else's way in between because I don't actually know. You know, I don't actually know. But you've tackled another interesting thing here, which is the concept of goodness. Right. Um, The social psychologist, Dolly Chug, um, it's uh, C-H-U-G-H, has written a great book called The Person You Want to Be, The the Person You Mean to Be, How Good People Fight bias, And her whole idea is that we shouldn't strive to be good people. We should strive to be goodish people right we should strive Ah. to be the best that we can possibly be given all the information that we have at our fingertips and if we're finding kind of a dearth of information then we should go out and find it right we should go out and and gather that information and kind of hope that we can fill in those gaps that we have in our knowledge or in our compassion or, or in our experience right
2: i absolutely agree hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds
1: Um, you mentioned your father was a love of classical music. Yeah. How about your mom? What kind of music did your mom listen to? Oh,
0: I'm so glad you asked this question. <laughs> OK, so my mom was a huge fan of the saddest songs on the planet. Okay. It was always send in the clowns, sunshine on my shoulders, leaving on a jet plane. There was a lot of John Denver going on in our house. And I always asked her, Mom, why? Why is it? And actually, whenever we went home to Taiwan, it was this um, whenever we would, we'd go to karaoke bars, it would always be the saddest songs I got played. Of so I would ask around mom, you know, I would ask my cousins, I would ask my aunts and my uncles, why is it that Taiwanese people are so obsessed with sad music? And she'd say, well, we had a hard life. And it's kind of true. We have Taiwan's been occupied pretty much since the very, very beginning. Right. Yes. So it's I mean, the Olympics are going on right now. Right. And right. what are we known as the Olympics? We are Chinese Taipei. Hello. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how do you even And I remember the the first year I ever realized that this was happening. I was like, what? That's not Taiwan. I'm so confused. Like, how is that? You know, how is that even reality? Um, But yeah, so to her to her point, the reason Taiwanese people love sad music is because we led sad, sad lives for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, there was a a certain amount of um, maudlin singing going on in our households, which I think and I would like to blame. Uh, for my bizarre, kind of embarrassing obsession with Richard Marx and Michael Bolton in my high school years, just I'm just okay. going to put that out there right now, that's, that's so I can great. just get it over yeah. with. Okay, we're just going to we're just going to say that. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Leave it out there.
1: Well, see, I graduated high school in 1977, and um, you know, I. Um, you know top 40 radio but I loved Barry Manilow and I still do oh, you know and and that is can be so sappy in fact when we were talking about guilty pleasures you know I was like yeah. you know I I still every once in a while pull out a Barry Manilow CD <laughs> and and sing to the top of my lungs you know these songs
0: Oh I love it does your wife indulge with you
1: Um yeah my wife is a huge fan of Kate Bush okay you know cool. from uh, and um ABBA yeah and okay. so um and the um so she not so much barry manilow and she has um it we had a, I, and i've told this story before when she 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 says i don't understand anything what bruce springsteen is saying <laughs> it just sounds like he's grunting
0: I remember you saying that you're telling yes. that story. And so,
1: you know, that's when I said, okay, think of it as an instrumental. Um <laughs> and so, you know, just that his that's voice great. is just another instrument. And 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 that actually worked for her because that's she great. then could get the the mood and the emotion okay. of the song. Um, so she is um we have said that when he tours next year, she goes, I know um you're gonna want to go as many shows as you can. He says, yeah. but I wanna go at least one. And I'm like, absolutely, oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: That's wonderful. I yeah. love it when 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 people make concessions for each other like that. You right. know, that's really that's a yeah, beautiful absolutely. thing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I you know, among my other my other um proclivities in high school, let's see. Um I did a lot of Brian Adams, you know, okay. that whole cuts like a knife thing, right? Sure. Um I did a lot of Bon Jovi um yeah. there, was, there was a reasonable amount of Def Leopard going on mm-hmm. um so yeah it was just it was super really easily accessible pop music you know which my parents were oh my gosh Tiffany do you remember Tiffany sure and Debbie Gibson and oh, yeah. uh you know after Belinda Carlisle left the go-go's right Pat Benatar I loved her to pieces I thought she was such a strong woman you know yeah and actually now that I'm talking to you I think you know despite the fact that I, I feel like I've left most of the whole like sad music stuff behind yeah. the tunes I still kind of gravitate to in my head are always the ones that have terrible terrible stories till Tuesday's voices carry that's yes. a, that's a really awful one right yeah um, uh, Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart right with right. that great line we're living in a powder keg and giving off sparks oh that's yes. such a great line um, let's see what were the other the other sad tunes it doesn't matter i mean a a ton of them like every single one of them that i remember that i turned to first on you know on the handy dandy satellite radio are the ones that are like super super sad
1: (laughs) so you talked about indian guides cub scouts where you know you had this experience of hearing born in the usa and everything when did you discover more about bruce when you discovered his the 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 broader catalog and his um, his ability as a storyteller.
0: Yeah, no, it's, those are actually two very different things. So the first, the first was born to run, you know, and the tune I loved, uh, and it was, it was a boyfriend at the time that I was dating who was, who was really into like rock music. Okay. So he was Pink Floyd. He also um, he also was the one who introduced me to CCR Cleences credence Clearwater arrival yeah. right um, ELO, um and you know along alongside of that was born to run right and it was like, oh no, sorry, it wasn't Yes, that's right. Born to run. That's right. Yeah. Um, and it was like, Oh, this is this is interesting. It's it's catchy, right? I like the I like the, the cut of this guy's jib, right? I like what he's doing with the tune. It, it sounds yeah. joyful and, and and good, right? But then years afterwards, I was living in New York City, and I met a songwriter named Will Hawkins. Okay. Um, and Will was a songwriter still is a songwriter, actually. Um, and it was he that, that who introduced me to the idea of like songwriting as a thing as a form of literature right right um and you know so i would go to to these songwriter circles that will would participate in and i would listen to each one of the what each one of the the lyricists you know who were putting forth their works um and so it was then that he was like oh you know you should listen to some bruce springsteen right and then and there i started paying more attention to the lyrics and kind of like figuring out what was going on piecing together and that's when i ran into thunder road
1: because I can think, I could see, and you probably did not do this, but like Bruce Springsteen, the Hungry Heart guy, right? Like, yeah. like, right? <laughs> well, no, for me, it was like, wait, the Pink Cadillac guy? You yeah, know? the Pink Cadillac guy, yeah. <laughs> but then,
0: you know, when you go back to listen to Pink Cadillac, you're like, oh, yeah, that that's working for me. You know, that's like yeah. a, it's a different cast of things, right? So, yeah, so Thunder Road was really the thing that really kind of tipped it over into into, uh, into true obsession zone, right, where it was like, I would listen to the lyrics over and over again, and be like, how does he do it? How does he do it? You know, it's completely unpredictable, the way that the phrasing works, and the way that he, he kind of mashes in the rhymes, right, like this whole conversation that's been happening of late, um, from that New Yorker article by David Remnick about whether it's Mary's dress sways or Mary's dress waves. Yeah, people are like, Well, no, it doesn't really rhyme. And it's like, when has Bruce actually ever cared? About proper rhyme schematics. He doesn't care. Yeah. And he doesn't the, care.
1: Like Thunder Road has no verse, you know, no chorus. It's just this story. And, um, yeah. you know, and, and I, I will tease, I, I am now looking forward to hearing your Mary question answer, you know. Um, i've been thinking about it
0: all week jazzy
1: (laughs) that makes me so happy um you know it it is it has turned into and so it's what's hilarious um yishan is um i was reached out by a record um like a publicity company and, and they said hey we have a um a musician would you want to have them, you know, on your show? And I'm like, absolutely. I I love talking to people. And so I had to, um, she's an African-American. I'm going to talk to her this weekend. And she's, you know, one of the things she wants to talk about is how hip hop is the future of music and all this other stuff. And I had to send it. I said, okay, have her listen to Thunder Road. I included a link (laughs) to a live version in the studio version, like have her look at the lyrics because (laughs) I ask everyone the merry question yeah. at the end. And so, yes, yeah. I, um, yeah. I, I was a little. Ninety nine percent of Bruce's fans are are great people. I, mm-hmm. I, I think this is we are really blessed, whether it's the casual fan or the hardcore fan, mm-hmm. they seem to be, as we call South, good people. Right. Mm-hmm. You're, you're good mm-hmm. people. Um, but there is just a small every once in a while and this whole debate of ways and sways. And, and I mean, it, it is almost like red and blue states. I mean, they they are like this <laughs> or this... is
0: it or is it like, do you see the red dress or do you, the blue dress or yes. do you see the gold dress? Right. Is that yeah. whole thing
1: <laughs> it, it just like there's not like, oh, OK, well, you know, if because if, they're arguing with Landau, like Landau's, oh, it was supposed to be this, we're going to change it. Like, no, you're right. wrong. Like, wait a minute, what do what you, <laughs> and, and, and not just a, like, um, I have no strong opinion. I personally, because I'm an optimist, believe mm-hmm. that Tony Soprano did not die in the final <laughs> Sopranos episode. I like to believe that Tony is still out there. trying to be a good father and is now grandfather to you know meadow and aj's children but if you go oh no absolutely jesse he died and here's all Uh the reasons why i go okay yeah i choose to be an optimist that you know the bad guy lived but i'm okay but there is that and it's it truly is kind of a symptom of how to go back politically for just a few minutes Yishan. know i have a really good friend who tends to be he's a small businessman so he tends to be more conservative but he says what what bothers him is he says why can't you go i want everyone to have health insurance you want everyone to have health insurance we 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 disagree how to get it how come we can't find a middle ground to accomplish what we both want you Mm -hmm. want a safe border i want a safe border." Why mm-hmm. we disagree how to currently do it? Why can't we find middle ground to accomplish something we both want? Mm-hmm. Politically, it is like, you know, they don't even want to agree with what the the end goal is.
0: Yeah, I think I think some of that comes back to that idea of what is good in our yes. heads. Right. Right. Um, you know, if you – my in-laws are really conservative, and yeah. they're also um, – um, members of a church that is highly conservative. So they are single issue voters, right? Okay, yeah. Now, if I were to ask them, do you believe you're good people? They would say, oh, yes, of course. You know, Absolutely. they're, they're church going people. They're doing all the right things by the barometers of what's existing in their society. Yeah. They are good people, right? Um, in my spare time, I, I do some disaster relief. Okay, And I have seen the negative effects that the church can reap, can reap on areas of very, very low income. Um, where they just go in and they, they missionary the heck out of the place, right? But they don't provide sexual health care or they don't provide birth control knowledge, right? Okay, so by my standards, maybe the church isn't doing great work, right? In that region, that particular narrow arena, right? right. So the question of goodness, I think, gets in the way a lot, a lot, right?
1: It, it really does. And it like that gets my frustration specifically about reproductive rights, is, um, and, and I have brought this up in, you know, I would be, I would be much more supportive of someone who says, I want to, I want to reduce unplanned pregnancies. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that means you should support free or low cost birth control. You should support, um, a lot of sex education. You should report a, a, um, you know, a a social net to give people a choice. But no, your answer is don't have sex. (laughs) Right. And and you're like, that just doesn't, this is, it just doesn't make sense.
0: Well, it's, I think it's very hard to see past it when every Sunday and maybe twice every week, you're being told by a holy authority figure yeah. that, you know, this, this absoluteness is the only way to be good. Right. 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 Um, and so, and I think that's what it is, right. This, this, this only way to be good thing really gets in the way of us forming, um, you know, I don't know, solutions, as you say, yeah. right. It gets in the way of creative, uh, decision-making or yeah. of creative solution, solution-making. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do we kind of get past this notion of like what is good and what isn't good? Right. Cause, yeah. cause good's kind of subjective, isn't it? Right. I mean, yeah. I, Listen, I love me a, a, a fine, tender fish ball, okay? But yeah. my in-laws are not going to eat that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. So yeah, I mean, for me, it's good. I, I also adore Cheez-Its. My husband thinks they're absolutely disgusting, right? So right. It's, it's just one of those things, you know, if, if you want to break it yeah. down to really inappropriately simple levels, that, that's kind no, of where no, I No, No, I, I,
1: I totally get that. Um, I want to go just throw on your other hat. When did you know you wanted to write? are you someone and i'm my friend tom is an artist and he he is he has made a living drawing you know his life and he said from the moment he had awareness he knew he wanted to draw like like and so talk to me about your writing and and was it that kind of calling or was this late in life
0: we do this thing in Taiwan, where you set the baby who is about somewhere nine months old or so, uh, or a year um, on a table and in front of the the baby are the various implements of life. Okay, okay, so you could have pens, abacuses, food, you know, anything that actually might touch on any kind of career. Um, And you, you, you let the baby crawl towards whatever it is. Um, I went for the food, they decided that was not acceptable. So they, they set me back up again and they, they moved for something else. Uh, and I went for the pen, right? Wow. Now, with that said, my uh, maternal grandfather was a poet um my paternal grandfather and his his father before him also wrote poetry um they're both published poets right uh i am terrified of poetry just fyi you know it's one of those things that i that i'm trying to kind of inch closer to growth mindset right i can do it i can do it uh but i find it absolutely mind-boggling in in lots of different ways and just one of those things where i'm just always afraid i'm gonna make the wrong move but um i do i do believe that from a very young age i was kind of called to this you know um so it feels like a vocation to me it feels like a thing that i always knew i was going to do
1: so you're not a frustrated chef
0: i'm not a frust- uh, you know what that actually you know, now you got me thinking i don't know let's 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 circle back around to this another six months and i'll let you know okay, i'm gonna okay, i'm gonna okay. i'm gonna start thinking about that now okay. yeah you got me thinking now it's <laughs> well,
1: there you go. no no, <laughs> no. just i think it's funny that you know um so talk to me about your early writing and and what you know were you just you I've talked to a lot of people and writing is something people can't. If you're a writer, it's something you can't not do. It's yeah. just, you know.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that you said that, because I, I think I, I used to say that a lot in my early 20s. Right. Like people would say, oh, well, why are you a writer? And I would say, oh, it's, it's something I have to do. I'm driven to yeah. do it. Right. But I, I don't think that I actually really understood what that meant until I got a grip on the things I liked I, until I got a grip on the things I liked period right yeah. so what are the things that interest me uh it turns out it's people right it turns out it's music it turns out it's the I have a um a, a column right in front of my office here and there mm-hmm. are, uh, there's a bird's nest up there. Right. And Mm so every, every year, some bird couples come back and they, they, they fight over it. Right. And so that drama is super interesting to me. Right. Um, you know, flora, fauna, leaves, things like that. Um, all of that stuff is interesting to me. So once I got a grip on, you know, the things that were interesting to me, um, I realized that there were stories behind all of that. Right. So it wasn't just about people or the experiences I had at the very beginning, uh, of my, of my, you know career career like when i graduated mm. from college and all that stuff um i fancied myself a, a writer of the outdoors persuasion i thought i would go and uh report on things like wolf biologists right and and trout fishermen and whatnot and i was going to be the 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 badass person i can say that right
1: yes absolutely <laughs>
0: the, the badass person who was going to be skiing down you know aggressive slopes and telling you about it right um i was going to be the drawn the john crack of, of the of the female set uh, he wrote Into Thin Air, right, right, and Into the Wild. Um, and um, it turns out that I'm, I'm not that kind of writer, you know, I'm the kind of writer who likes to imagine things, right. Um, and who likes to pretend that animals can talk, um, and who <clears> likes <throat> to imagine the conversations that they have with each other. Uh, and then I also like to navel gaze, apparently, which is the way that you found me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so uh, in my in my in my other life, I also teach at a Master of Fine Arts program, um you know which is creative nonfiction based so um encouraging people to tell their stories um that's that's a thing that i also think is pretty important you know making sure that that longevity that that oral history gets somehow put down on paper is is pretty important to me so maybe it's not so much like that i feel driven to write it's that i feel driven to convey stories and driven to help people to convey their stories um
1: So I love, and I think that's part of the reason why I do this podcast is I love hearing people's stories and I, and I feel it's important to capture them. You know, I, uh, every once in a while, and I don't get it as much anymore, but when I first started the podcast, you know, people would say, oh, I I don't have anything interesting to tell. And I'm like,
0: my heart, I hate that.
1: And I'm like, no, and and, and it, it's funny right like one of the i'm still trying to get someone to be on the show um you know she traveled to new zealand and went to multiple shows the last time bruce went there and she's Aww. like oh i don't have any interesting stories what just just the story <laughs> going to new zealand would be you know an episode uh so uh, you know so i i i like that i i appreciate that um so, you you mentioned you had an early novel. Yeah. Um, had you done short stories beforehand, or had you done what? Yeah. So um,
0: so okay. So for every published novelist, that novelist has like five or six novel drafts that are sitting somewhere in a drawer Absolutely. or on a hard drive. Okay? Right. Uh, mine are on floppy disks. Just FYI, I'm there of that. Go. I'm of that generation.
1: <laughs> okay. Very nice. <laughs> both,
0: both the big five and a half inch ones and the you know the three and a yeah. half inch hard ones. Um, so so. Uh, we all have, you know, that kind of stuff lying around. But um, at the beginning, I started writing short stories, uh, and then decided I was gonna, I was gonna, you know, write novels and, um, and started kind of working towards that. Um, But I had a problem I, uh, I'm of the opinion that like, nobody's born a writing expert or or a Bruce expert or an artist, you know, an expert artist, right, you got to be constantly learning things like I take classes all the time on this kind of thing. So my big problem was plot. I didn't know how to tell a story. I didn't know how to, to make something page turnery, right. Um, and that was the feedback I was getting back from agents, right. So at the end of the day, I, I bit the bullet and got myself a, a master of fine arts degree. And that's when I that's when I published um, not a self help book, the mystery of the misadventures of Marty Wu, which was published in in 2016. Um, and I'm working on another novel right now, which is a young adult novel based in the Antarctic. So it's good okay. stuff.
1: And the misadventures, I'm trying to find it.
0: Yeah, it's called not a self-help book. OK, the misadventures of Marty Wu. Okay. I should have sent you this link earlier. Sorry about that.
1: No, that's OK. Um, Very nice. I gave I, I will include a link to do it. That is wonderful. Thank uh, you. That is a that's a fun title. Yeah, and You know
0: what? It's titles are a funny thing. And, and we're going to get to this later on. Right. But it's like one of the things I love about Bruce Springsteen is his is his mastery of titles. I yes. love the title work on it. You know, titles are like there's they're so the unappreciated workhorse of, of of any work, right? Um and actually it's funny that you call out the 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 title of my novel because that was not its original title. Um and my publisher and I workshopped it for like two hours of the phone, just kind of batting things back and forth and trying to figure mm-hmm. it out. So yeah, people out there don't don't underestimate the work that goes into a title.
1: So there I a year or so ago someone did a parody article that in an alternate world bruce was a pulitzer prize winning writer and they Aww. i will try to find the article for you and send it to you because it it talked about how his new collection of short stories was this and basically they took all of bruce's albums and turned them into collections of short stories the idea and i was like i want to read these so bad that's amazing like, yeah i, I will find that. it and send it to you it was very that's clever it. and interesting like i think western stars is a collection of short stories that zane gray or mm-hmm. uh, elmore leonard could have written, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. I, I it feels mm-hmm. like that collection of stories.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. I'm going to have to go back and revisit all the albums now with that lens on. That's yeah. really cool. And actually, I I think I would having read his memoir at yeah. like you know breakneck speed. I'm sure you've read it as well.
1: Yeah. In fact, I, I was mean- going to ask you as a writer, you, you talk to me as a fan and as a writer. What did you think of the book?
0: Oh, I just. I was just so many times I was laughing so hard, at uh, you know, especially in the early parts. Right. Sure. But I was also really taken by his vulnerability. Right. Which yes. is a thing that we preach a lot in the in, in the creative nonfiction world. Right. The idea that you have to be willing to let the reader in and give them a little piece of yourself. Right. Um, and the beauty of the book is that once it's down on paper, you don't you don't have to do it over again. Do you know what I mean? You right. don't have to tell that story over and over again. Um, and in fact, when when my memoir came out, um, you know, there's a lot of pain around being a minority woman in, in outdoor sports. Right. Um, you come across a lot of things. I used to invo- be involved in adventure racing, um, which is a sport that takes you into like the, the deep wilds of places. And they're often overnight races and it's multidisciplinary. So you mountain bike, canoe, kayak. Uh, Sometimes there's horseback riding, there's usually repelling going on Um, and I would get things called at me, you know, people would throw water bottles at us, they would they would say terrible things, you know, uh, because we were in the sticks, right? And they'd never seen an Asian girl before, you know, Um, and that kind of narrative when you when you have to tell it over and over again, it creates kind of a hole in you, right? It it carves out this it's like this never ending festering wound because you have to tell the story over again. But when the memoir came out, I found myself in the really bizarre position of not having to tell those stories anymore. You know, it was mm-hmm. like, I've let this go now, you know, I've committed it to paper. And I think that's a lot of what was going on in born to run the memoir, you know, where he, I think Springsteen had a lot of pain around when he realized, for instance, that he was going to have to use his sardom as a platform. He was going to have to be an activist in some way, shape, or form, right? He was going to have to be an activist for, for, uh, for, for clean energy, right? He was going to have to be an activist for, uh, for black and brown lives. He was going to have to be an activist for, for anybody who didn't have any rights, i.e. the Vietnam vets, right? Um, and that's a thing that I think he had to come to terms with and look at on paper and be like, oh my God, I, uh, this is a thing that I have to, I've now committed to paper, right? It, it is real. It has yes. happened. And so I, I you know, I, I, I'm, I'm telling that story, right? I'm committing that. Um, so in that way, I found it really, really admirable. The thing that I think was really funny about it is that as, 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 a, as a Master of Fine Arts level instructor, Bruce was really earnest. There were a lot of exclamation points. There were whole lines that were written in all caps. And like, weren't we told a long time ago never to send emails in all caps because it makes you look like you're screaming at people. Yes. <laughs>
1: i i wondered about that and i have said this before at times bruce is not a very good interview now i think he has gotten better and i really enjoyed the podcast with him and president obama i thought uh-huh. that there was good stories there and yeah. i thought they shared but at times he he laughs at his own jokes and he seems un. <laughs> comfortable talking about himself in the past seems like and especially like a lot of the letter to you promotions Mm -hmm. i thought he he shared a lot but i i believe so i was a little worried when i got into the book like well how comfortable with this and you know the story the legend right is that he showed up you know with this manuscript to the you know the Publishing company and go, I you know I guess because they had published Outlaw Pete or something you know the, the okay. little children's book and like I guess you're my publisher. Would you want to you know publish this? And and I'm wondering, you know, if you're an editor, like what do you do? You do you go to Bruce and go, you know, all these rules are breaking, or do you just go? <laughs> nope i because i read it and was just captivated by the honesty
0: yeah, yeah yeah well exactly well so okay so one of the things i discovered early on when i when i first started writing creative nonfiction earnestly yeah. uh i had an allergy to earnestness you know it was like yeah. the writer has to be a little bit removed you know we have yeah. to be professorial and elegant and, yes. and so on and so forth you know one mustn't one mustn't ever show one's dirty underbits, right right um one shouldn't be too emotional uh well that's that's all not true you know that's the way you hook people right that's the way that you that you begin to get them on side with you you know where where they begin to feel like they have some stake in who you are right and I think Bruce does that really really well right he just lets us see who he is and I think that's a beautiful thing
1: yeah and I was really surprised that the you know the the relationship with his father is all over the book and in his his fights with depression and the honesty he shared with that. Um, J. Michael Stravinsky, the guy who did Babylon five and so many other TV uh, shows and just a year or two put out an autobiography called Becoming Superman. And mm-hmm. it talks about his life. And the first third of the book is him as a child is absolutely heartbreaking. because of how rough of a childhood he had and then um and but I was I couldn't walk away because I knew this was real and this was honest and 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 sharing that um and not in a way like it was very I think it was very very honest of Bruce to say that Patty goes you know you better go back to the doctor and maybe adjust your meds because you're not yourself. Yeah. And, um, you, I, you've, you've mentioned your spouse and, and uh, Linda and I have been married, um, since 84. So we've been this well. And there are plenty of times where, you know, she calls me on my crap and I call her on her crap, you know, and because of that relationship and it showed how much of a partnership they've had
0: yeah absolutely well yeah and I think there there's there's vulnerability in that in the way that he talks about his first wife as well yes. you know and and not being able to manage that relationship and being not mature enough for it um, but i think I think one thing that really struck me is that and I mentioned this in the essay um, is that is that I've been doing a lot of work around the idea of different modes of storytelling right right um, and different traditions of storytelling right I'd love to this this story about my dad always cracks me up where when i first moved back to california to be closer to them about a decade ago my dad said to me i would like to write an autobiography and i said oh that's great dad and he was like i i think you can you know it'd be great if you get your professional eye on it it's terrific um it's terrific chance for us to work together so on and so forth and i said yeah that's terrific so he hands me the first couple of pages and the first few pages start out five thousand years ago in china and i was like you know i got on my high horse right i was like dad this is not an autobiography this is not the way that you know people want to read about you they want to know about you right but that's a very western way of looking at the autobiography right in the eastern tradition in in the taiwanese tradition there is no me without all of this background that went before so my father could not tell the story of himself without going in that background right so the thing that really struck me is that here I am preaching about how important it is to be really global about our traditions, right? I mean, the Aristotle methodology of storytelling is not the only methodology that exists, right? right. So why am I bashing Bruce for being his self? Yes. Why am I bashing Bruce for using a ton of exclamation points when really, if he's singing to you, that's all you get is a ton of exclamation points Absolutely. <laughs> and yes. all caps yes. in general, like yeah. you cannot picture the lyrics to Pink Cadillac without it being all caps with a lot of
1: exclamation points. Oh, absolutely. It's
0: impossible. <laughs> right. So, you know,
1: yeah. Um, So after you, your friend, this songwriter, you know, asked you and kind of open your eyes and Thunder Road, what are other albums and songs that you've kind of explored and have personal meaning for you and that both as emotionally and also maybe as a storyteller
0: yeah for me it's the earlier albums um so you know the 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 is it uh, i never know the names of the albums it's well nebraska is a big one for me yeah but also uh the wild and the crazy and the east street band is that right or is it the wild and the wild and
1: the innocent and then thank you you the wild and the
0: Innocent and the street band right so those are those are the two albums that i'm kind of looking at most closely right now and the ones that that have resonated with me in the past i find the greetings from asbury park album really interesting yeah. only because it it feels really raw to me yeah. it feels like a really raw piece of you know piece of music to me um and even in the lyrics to that are you know the that entire album are just are just fascinating to me so yeah, I mean, it just appeals to me as a human being, really.
1: And, and it's almost now that you think about that, right? Like um, a first novel Absolutely. that, you know, that you, um, you know, and you um, I tend to I tend to read, uh, you know, mystery novels or series, you know, so you have the same characters or other novels and you you sometimes will find, you know, that. He, he hasn't, he or she has not figured out their style yet and what we're wanting to be. And I think that's when you put it in that way, that's you know, he's still trying to figure out. And, um, you know, in that letter to you documentary, he talked about you know, Dylan telling John Hammond, This guy's going to run out of words on the dictionary because Bruce <laughs> right. wanted to do that. And, yeah. um, and speaking of, um, the, the writer, J. Michael Stravinsky, he just put a book of how to write. And he specifically says, I'm this is I'm aiming for people that want to write. And he talked about he had a whole chapter about editing. And, 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 And he said and. The the paragraph that you just read started out this way, and I, you know, and he showed the actual process of cut, you know, like cutting out the words and cutting out the words and cutting out the words and then going back again and saying, did I cut out too many words? And it was fascinating to think that. And you could see how Bruce learned that less is more.
0: I, I love what you just said about J. Michael Stravinsky. I think that's such a generous act for any writer to, you know, show us what they had to go through in order to be able to get to the point that they are around. You know, yeah. I mean that it's it's not just generous but it also shows a, a remarkable lack of ego, which is exactly where you want to be. You know, you can't be too precious yeah. about your own words, right? So yeah. that's fantastic. Thank you for letting me know about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, um is the um the name of the book, by the way, he just did a novel Together We Will Go
0: oh, cool. which
1: the premise is um a guy wants to commit suicide he has he reaches out via social media and gets a bus full of like eight or nine people and their idea is they're going to go across the US get to the pacific coast and drive off a bridge you know wow. drive off a cliff and so it it's a little uncomfortable uh-huh. because you know as a society suicide is bad yeah. You know, suicide is bad. Yeah. Um very fascinating novel, but the the name of his book is Becoming a Writer, Staying a Writer. Okay, great. And it it is it and and I I was fascinated by the editing because he said this is like, you know, in the choosing the right word and what to do and he said you should you never should show anyone your first draft, that you <laughs> should be your own critic and you should go through that. <laughs> and it was just interesting. Um, That's great. Yeah, do uh you know, have you as I often say, the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is not a fair barometer of your yeah. fandom, but have you been able to see him?
0: I have. I have seen Bruce exactly once. Okay. And it was it was there in the early two thousands that uh that I had that really distinct feeling of yes. like, you know, is it is it okay for me to sing along with Born in the USA? Right. Yeah. Uh, and I really locked up, you know, it was like, everything else was fantastic. Right. Rosalita was great. Thunder road. I still didn't know all the words to, but that was fantastic. You know, born in Rome was great. And then we got to born in the USA and it was like, yeah, I just locked up, you know, and I didn't know what to do with myself. Right. It was like, and it was very, very odd because we were, uh, at the time I was working in advertising. And so it was one of those client events, right. Where we would buy out a block of tickets and, and bring people along with us. And I remember thinking to myself wow this is not a good face to be putting on for my clients right get it together get it together you know um
1: so i was raised southern baptist so um you know where that you know this was a fact that you went from standing you sip one beer the next step you're in the gutter right? Like, you know, that, that just, you know, do not pass go, do not click $200. If you have one sip of beer, you're then a drunk in the gutter, you know? Um, so, um, you know, feeling uncomfortable singing, uh, joy to the world, you know, cause he always had some very good wine, like, you know, did it, it, something like that was, was uncomfortable to me. Um, and, um, my wife is catholic and i've since converted to catholicism Uh though i have a very complicated spiritual relationship right now but um and it was just very weird being raised catholic that you know alcohol was you know not it was just not a big thing right you know (laughs) And, and and i still am amazed that my mother will will have beer in the refrigerator for my, when <laughs> my adult son visits. I'm like, what, 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 you know, <laughs> so. <laughs> it's like
0: a paradigm shift,
1: you yeah, know? It like is a paradigm shift, yeah. absolutely. I love um, that. Yeah, so, um, you, you, you said you're, what, talk about what you're working on next. What, what kind of writing projects are you doing now?
0: Yeah, so I have this, um, I have this, this albatross of a novel that is, uh, I don't, every, every novel is an albatross. I, I don't even know what I'm saying. It's true. Uh, so it is a, it's a young adult novel um, that is five years in the making now. And it's only five years in the making because I have you know a bunch of other projects that are going on. So yeah. uh, But it's one I'm very, very excited about. Uh, it is a young adult novel. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I just have to hunker down and kind of get it done. Okay. Right. Uh, I also am writing pretty frequently for Medium. Um, which is where you found me, and for its various publications there. And generally, that's that's about self-improvement or, you know, about basic things like friendship and about finding Bruce Springsteen and being an American <laughs> immigrant, right? Um, and uh, let's see, what else? Oh, I teach some diversity and inclusion for an incredible company called caniplaythat.com which is a media organization that assesses video games for accessibility. So, you know, if you're low vision or if you're disabled in some way, shape or form, can you play this video game? Right. So we're working with um, with video game creators uh, and game developers to make sure that their game narratives are as inclusive as possible and that they appeal to the widest audiences. So it's it's a lot of big projects and they're like all over the place, but it's all good fun.
1: It sounds good. good. Yeah. And uh, how, you know, like, how have you been doing in the pandemic? How, how has it been?
0: Well, stuff like this is getting me through, you know, being able to yeah. meet new people like yourself. I just did a piece on how, like, you know, where are we in the pandemic now? Were we 18 months in? What yes. is time, Jesse? Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Oh, geez. So, okay. So um, back in, like, January of 2020, um, I sold a Formica table from the 1950s to a woman on Craigslist. And we immediately knew that we were going to be friends. Right. And then the pandemic happened. Right. And so we just had like our first friend date, last Saturday. And it was like an absolute joy. That's, we went to we did oh, we did such middle aged things. We went to a cafe and we had coffee. And then we went to a museum and looked at art. And then we had a glass of wine afterwards. It was like being yeah, we were cut loose on the world. It was fantastic.
1: That, that <laughs> so I just awesome. did a piece
0: about our, our bizarre Craigslist friendship, which is kind of fun. <laughs> that,
1: that, that, that sounds very fun. That's but yeah, I mean,
0: finding new podcasts like this and you know, yeah. know just sort of like storytelling is keeping me alive right now jesse i mean it's like yeah. all the stuff that i've been watching on netflix oh my goodness i just finished watching pushing daisies have you seen that yes oh isn't it a joy it
1: is just just oh. so wonderful it's so much fun it's so much yeah. fun
0: i'm watching Lupin now just um just realized that the next season of of winona earp is up again have you been watching winona
1: yes i love winona oh <gasps> yeah. it's such a joy. It Talk is. Talk about a potty mouth, right? Boy, she right. Throws up a storm. She's it fantastic. is. It is very good. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: great. So yeah, I mean storytelling is keeping me alive and um, you know, both in the generative sense and in the consuming sense. So mm-hmm. yeah, all that stuff, you know.
1: That's good. That's good. Um, all right. So, Yishan, what should I have asked you that I haven't?
0: You need to ask me about my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs.
1: All right, let's do it. Let's go for okay. it.
0: Okay. So I have I look I've made a list for you. Okay. Yay. New York City Serenade. I need to. And that's the one I have to see perform live because it is so big. That is on your wish
1: list. okay? Oh, it's on
0: my wish list. No question about it. Used cars I love and I love it for a very, very odd reason. I love it because even though I grew up not wanting for money, the sensation that he describes of being a poor money, a poor family and everybody watching them pull up in their used car and all that, that is the way that I felt as an immigrant in a mostly white town. And it was just like, I remember hearing that song for the first time and being like, oh, again, it was like that sense of like, this is such an American songwriter. Why do I resonate so much with it? Right. And so it locked into place this idea of like, what is American? What does it mean to be American? You know,
1: so a couple of things. First off, I think of that line in um, the and why am I drawing a blank on the movie about the guy set in the UK, right? That's Pakistan. And his dad says, you know, Hey, um, I, I think this Bruce Springsteen is Pakistani, you know, because he <laughs> writes about that. Um, the, one of my favorite stories, right. Is that, um, just because you write the story or write the song, doesn't mean you know what it is about. And I, I, my dad was in the military, career military. My mother did not work outside the home. So we we struggled financially at times. I, I you know, I I didn't I know that now at the time I kind of sort of knew. But, you know, and parents keep it from you, don't they? Yeah. And and yeah. Um, and and I know um, the like I called, you know, my mom when I was a junior in high school and said, OK, you know, the payphone at the high school. And I said, all right, this is how much they're talking for a class ring, you know. And she's like, yeah. no, you're, you're your dad and I've talked. And what you know, you're graduating high school, whatever it is, you know, you pick what you want, Jesse. Oh. Don't worry about it, you know. Yeah. Um. So that feeling and my parents always did buy new used cars. So that resonated with me. But the story is about alienation and yeah. and not belonging and resenting, yep. not belonging. And you were able to change that to a totally that has nothing to do with the vehicle, right?
0: Absolutely. And and it's it's interesting because the actually the narrative is slipped for me because my parents' cars, it they, they were status symbols, right? So right. it was like you know they were one of the first families to have. Alexis, right? Um, yeah. They they were one of the first ones in the neighborhood to buy, you know, to buy like a big honking Mercedes Benz, right? And so, right. the the narrative around cars is solid, but it's flipped, right? It's sort of like so so the car is a status symbol still, just not in that in that same way, right? Right. And in much that same way, I also love Highway Patrolman, which is a story about about you know family fealty. Right. And that that story resonates so hard for me because my both my parents' families are huge on family fealty. Right. Like that is a thing that you just do not mess with. You know, it doesn't right. matter. doesn't matter what the person did. They will always be family. And you got to right. you got to appreciate that. Right. And I think this is the kind of thing that really that really makes me feel so much better about about Springsteen and Born in the USA is that. In the book in born to run he explores this idea of what it means to be american you know yes. and it is a question for him it's a question for him am i truly american if i do not use my star status to, to protest right am i truly american if i did not serve in the vietnam war am i truly american if this that, and the other thing right what does it actually mean um am i truly american if i if i decide to ally myself with 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 the blue cause as opposed to the red cause right yes and i think for me the thing that that really locked it in was like if bruce springsteen the guy who's saying, Bored in the USA, can question what it means to be an American, I get to do it too. And you yes. know what? All that is American. That is 100% American. That is the great American experiment. Right? So, yeah. yeah, that's where it came down. You know, it's just fascinating to me.
1: And I do think that's fascinating. And I do think we go back to that sometimes someone can have a very narrow mindset of what is. America right and right. and I um, I think of the, the American president the film that Aaron Sorkin wrote right where Michael Douglas talks about where you uh, you know at his closing speech about you get people that have remember a, a better time and they you know and you scare them about what's changed and what's different and um, it and Your American experience is totally different than my American experience, but there was a time and, and mostly because at the time it was a European thing, right? This, the, the melting pot, the quilt was all from these different European, but we now are global and there is that different, you know, that it is truly a different, bigger and quilt and melting pot and Absolutely. And I think that's well said that the that is your American experience is just as valid as anything else.
0: Yeah, and I you know I, I so appreciate the opportunity to share it with you here. and I've just so enjoyed this conversation. and uh, you know I, I I feel like we're winding down to the big question.
1: Yes, we are. yes. now is there other songs you want to uh, bring up that by okay, the way, I'll Highway just bring Pat- up one more. Highway Patrolman, one of my favorite songs. I love Johnny Cash's version. I don't oh, know. I've not heard read. it. No, Google. And yeah, Johnny Cash did a version of Highway Patrolman, and it's absolutely amazing. Um, oh, yeah, great song. Great song. So, Good. OK.
0: All right. OK, so the last one and this this might only because be because I own I actually do know a guy who ran away to join the circus. I okay. know what i I'm going to say it's, yes. it's Wild Billy's Circus Story. Right? Oh, that's like that. funny. and i'll tell you what the the day that dave that dave told me that he had actually had run away to join the circus like that was his thing i was like oh let's revisit the song together
1: (laughs) oh yeah that's wonderful (laughs) Uh, yes i would want to know that uh that is great great. yeah all right so um if you are um Chi's family or co-workers or friends Uh and you're listening to us and you've never heard a set lesson bruce episode before uh we end every episode with a merry question and jay armstrong is an honors english teacher he just recently retired but every year in his senior class he would have his honors english class take thunder road and break it down as a poem And they would go through all the different lyrics. They would talk about the imagery that Bruce uses. It would compare it to other poems, including poems from Robert Frost. And at the end of the two days, the question he would ask his class, and they would write a paper on it, does Mary get in the car? So, Youngji, that's your question.
0: Okay, so the question is, does Mary get in the car? And like I told you, I have been thinking about this for, like ever since I found out that it was gonna be a thing um which I makes think me so happy. <laughs> so if I'm being a romantic, I would say that Bruce has been very very persuasive this entire time. And right. it, the line that that tips it over the edge for me is when he says, um it I know it's late but we can make it if we run. Oh, I love that line. That is so what much. a great
1: I know it's late but we can make it if we run yeah, it's just I love so it. beautiful.
0: It is. And it's such a it's such a sentiment of like, come with me. Right. And I think a little bit, too, it's kind of like bound up in that whole uh, the line from Born to Run where he says, Wendy, let me in. I want to be your friend. I want to guard your dreams and visions. Like, could you ever ask for any more from a life partner than that? Exactly. Right. So the 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 romantic in me says, yes, she gets in the car. No question about it. But if you ask me tomorrow, I might have a different answer altogether.
1: so can you take the romantic hat on and make the other argument
0: i can't now i can't okay. because see i've been thinking about i've been thinking about this this whole like you know how persuasive he's been the entire yeah. day now we're at the end of the day mm-hmm. we're gonna have to like turn over tomorrow and see okay. so okay so if i'm forced to think about whether or not she doesn't she doesn't and it's get okay in the if car. you don't want
1: to i just was curious the way you said if i have the romantic hat on yeah. uh,
0: i you know yeah. i don't know jesse like i kind of want to go there but then i'm kind of like hmm No, I think I think we'll save that for tomorrow. We're going to we're going to go down another road tomorrow because it isn't just whether or not she gets in the car, is it? It's whether or not she gets in the car and what they do afterwards. Exactly. What do they you know, what do they what do they do? Do they do they do they do they go stare at the Jersey Shoreline or do they do they make a bowl for New York City or do they go to Washington, D.C., or do they drive straight across country like like he did with his mates? You know, I mean, yeah, we don't know. We don't know.
1: And 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 I, you know, the the amount of diversity I've had in the answers, right, that they people have said that they're like, no, she doesn't get in the car because he wasn't worthy of it. But later she does They, you know, later <laughs> he grows and then there's other like, yes, yeah, she gets in the car, but it doesn't last very long.
0: Right. Uh, you know, um,
1: you know, one of my favorites is he says, absolutely, because on Racing in the Street, they uh-huh. talk about that she sits on her daddy's porch which is the porch that they talked about. Um, And then, as I've said many times, you know, one guy says Moonlight Motel is the sequel to Thunder Road that they spent their whole, they go to California, they spend their lives together. And now then he's Morning Mary.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. And again, you know, so many different ways to interpret the rest of his discography, right? after that, exactly. Yeah. It's just extraordinary but i I, i'm so happy to see this question come up because uh like i say i'm the kind of person that likes to imagine conversations so you've given me plenty to think about for probably the rest of my life (laughs) so
1: i i I tweeted this but um brian koppelman the showrunner of billions Mm -hmm. um and wrote rounders and you know um he was he has a podcast and he said hey we're going to do an ask brian episode of the podcast so send questions and so his daughter asked the questions and she read my Mary question and um and he said that he'd never thought about it and he he thinks the beauty is not knowing
0: oh. he loves
1: the idea that we don't know if she gets in the car and he wouldn't he thinks the song loses power if we know and I think that is a very interesting thought and yeah. You know, it's I love kind that. Of, yeah, it's kind of like there is a reason why Bruce chose the anthem music of Born in the USA and not the blues version like he does on Broadway. Yeah, they, they, yeah. you know, he and he is a master story storyteller and he huh. know what image he was going through.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think I, I, I say in my essay, too, that the, the beauty of that song is that it just seems to go on and on and on and on, right? Yeah. So for me, it's for me, it's maybe not as exact as the beauty is that we don't know. It's that the beauty is that the, we know that the story will go on, yes. regardless you know, of yeah. what happens, right? So
1: absolutely. it's interesting,
0: these little nuances, right? I mean, these yes. tiny little trenches of the way that we think about these stories and the way we think about these lives, yeah. it's
1: great. Yeah. Yishan, this has been amazing i hope you had fun i've so this enjoyed is, myself <laughs> this is good um if someone wants to reach you what's the best way
0: please find me on twitter i practically live there i will yes. tell you what i ate for breakfast it's great uh i'm at good dirt on twitter uh and if you want to read some more some more thoughts uh most currently at Yishanli.medium.com.
1: okay good great. and uh, i will include links to that i'll include links i'm gonna have to check out the books um I I I definitely want the fiction but I the idea of your struggle with sports sounds like it could be pretty funny it's pretty funny (laughs) yeah I mean I think that's that's going to be great Um, it's pretty funny good any final thoughts you want to share
0: no I'm just so happy to be here and you know like I say I'm I'm just I'm super grateful that this medium exists and that and that we can, we can make new friends and get to know each other. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just really grateful that you exist in this world. And I, I wish you so many more podcasts and I'll be there for all of them.
1: Well, I thank you so much. And um, let's make a deal. Um, when you finish your latest Albatross, you got to come on and we'll promote it, okay?
0: Yes, please. That sounds great, Jesse. All right, thank that you. sounds
1: great. All right, listeners, you, please be safe. Go get vaccinated um you know wear a mask remember to social distance wash your hands and you know i i I always say let's be good to each other but let's be goodish to each other i guess i should say that now well done jesse yeah nice work (laughs) and uh you know and because that's the only way we're going to get through this for now thank you and we'll talk to you soon goodbye thank you to my patreons andrew goddard betsy hodges levi Petri, elizabeth bronson steven malio Holly Mack, Steve Rogers, Dale Hosick, Terry Smith, Anna Lynn, Chris Bloom, and Mary Thomas. You all are my monthly angels. Thank you so much for the love and support you give on this podcast. You are greatly appreciated. You just heard the fun talk hard rockin', music oven, album-ranking, fan-thinking, joy-spreading, lyric-reading, story-sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing
2: Bruce. Set
1: Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.